You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. It's been a really neat stretch of time here for us. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. Isn't he a good guy? This Nathaniel. I love, love Nathaniel. Thank you. It's great. It's been a really neat stretch here for us. Last week, this week, next week. A week ago, we had uh, Pastor Omar Soto was here from uh, Mexico City, the pastor of our GCC church in Mexico that we uh, support. We are partner with him. And uh, next Sunday is our, Lord willing, will be our missions Sunday where we'll have a, a mission emphasis. Our global coordinator, Paul Somsa, will be uh, leading us for some of the service. I'll preach on missions a week from now. Uh, but this morning, uh, we have the special privilege of having with us another pastor from a church that, uh, that we support, a new church plant in Scotland. Um, I know originally, I think our connection in Scotland was with Harvest Glasgow, but then when they planted Harvest Air, A-Y-R, um, I know Pastor Scott encouraged us to say, why don't you get on board with them if you want to support us? And uh, we were glad, glad to be able to do that. Uh, Harvest Air is just planted recently, actually right in the middle of COVID, if you can believe it, right in the middle of COVID, a church plant. What a crazy time to plant a church. Uh, one might even say foolish on a human speaking, but it's the wisdom of God, and God has been good, and they have launched. They're off the ground, and we are excited as a local church to be able to support them financially and prayerfully, and really excited today to have the pastor of that church with us, and uh, he is going to come and to preach to us in just a moment's time. Uh, Lee Valentine is the pastor of Harvest Air. He's here today with his wife, Zoe, and their two small children. Uh, Lee is originally from Northern Ireland, and so if you really know your accents, you'll, you'll think he's from Scotland, but he doesn't sound exactly Scottish, although I don't know if you sound as Irish as he once did, but we, he's saying no. Uh, but knowing that he's from Northern Ireland, just so you know, Charles Bell has offered to translate this morning if needed, all right? So we appreciate that, Charles. You'll be ready to step in just in case, all right? And uh, we'll provide on-the-fly translation. Listen, I'm really enjoying getting to know Lee. He was here this week for our GCC Canada National Conference. Even though they're in Scotland, they are very much connected with the Canadian part of the network. And I'm glad for that. I hope it stays that way. Uh, the more I get to know him, the more my, heart's, my heart is being filled with love for him and for his family. And so without any further ado, please welcome uh, Lee Ballantyne. Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to Psalm 31. Uh, let me just say what a joy and privilege it is to be with you all this morning, to spend time uh, with your people here, to worship with you, and particularly on this uh, significant Sunday, um, it really is such a, a privilege to see what the Lord's uh, doing in this church and through this church. Um, as Ross has mentioned, my accent's slowly becoming a, a blend of, if you'd like to think of it this way, the, the actor's Liam Neeson uh, although I'm not as angry as him, don't worry. Uh, and uh, Ewan McGregor, so for the Star Wars fans, that's Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, but uh, yeah, so great to be with you guys, uh, to be in the flesh after these last number of years. And coming here really feels less like visiting a, a partner church, more like spending time with, with church family. We've had a number of people from this church spend time in our home in Glasgow before we moved uh, and planted in air. And we've really uh, deeply benefited from and been encouraged by the partnership 
uh, with Hope Niagara. Um, and our church, uh, us as a family and our church in air continue to be so deeply encouraged by the, the love uh, and the prayers and the support um, of all our partners and of this church. Um, they, they're so, uh, every time I talk about or I talk about coming over here, they're all so deeply encouraged that um, churches like yourselves would be so invested and so prayerful towards um, our little corner uh, of Scotland. And so it's my joy to be in here in the flesh, face to face, to say to you guys how thankful to God we are for your church, how thankful to God we are for all of you. Uh, and to, to kind of almost remind you that, in case you didn't realize, as, as Ross has mentioned, that uh, you guys planted a church in Scotland, uh, kind of just as COVID was ending, um, that you guys were such a significant part of that, uh, and, and your generosity and your prayers made that possible. So to encourage you in that, uh, and to, to, to remind you of that, and just, just to let you uh, know a little bit about what's happening, to give you a little bit of an update with our church. Um, as, as Ross mentioned, we planted in, in Ayr, which is a coastal town, kind of 45 minutes drive southwest of Glasgow. It's, um, if you're a golf fan, it's between Turnbury and Royal Troon. Um, uh, we moved there last year. We launched last October. We started with nine adults and, and one kid, uh, our oldest, Joseph. Uh, and by God's grace, we're now kind of around 30 to 40 adults with a, a, a bunch of kids. We just moved to meeting in a high school um, August past. Um, so we're at the start of our building journey. You guys are in many ways um, uh, moving forward with yours. And the Lord has been at work amongst us. Um, he's been so kind to us, particularly off the back of COVID. We've always had a place to meet. He's brought the gifts and the people we've needed. We've seen people experience the love of Jesus and that love embodied in the church family. We've seen people experience that afresh in their lives. We've seen God's word get to work on people's hearts and changing them uh, and revealing things to them. And we've experienced the, the deep joy of serving together, uh, particularly in these early, early days when it's all hands on deck. And maybe you guys have ex been experiencing that afresh as you've got this building ready. It's such a joy to serve together in the Lord, isn't it? Uh, we've, we've really appreciated doing that with one another. And if you were to ask me personally, what's one of the, the biggest things the Lord's been teaching me over this past year? It's dependence and trust. Dependence and trust. And I'm learning that afresh as I, as I leave the church for a few weeks um, to really just hand that over to the Lord. It's, a, it's ultimately in the Lord's hands, right? Jesus builds his church, but as someone who um, is privileged with leading the church, it can often feel fragile when you leave your church family. So I'm learning that afresh over these two weeks. And a few things in my life have felt more out of my hands than what the Lord has been doing through us in this past year. And, and you guys, in many ways, as you continue to write a, a new chapter in the life of your church, are being reminded in these days how dependence and trust need to be ongoing, defining heart postures within your life. And it's not just when it comes to church life, right? Um, it's all of life that we need to learn that continually, especially given how often harsh life can be towards us. We continue to be faced with the question of where our hearts are placing the, their trust I don't know if you use the saying here, I'm sure you do, of talking about someone being a safe pair of hands. In, in the UK, we would talk about uh, football goalkeepers, uh, as it's correctly called, football. Football goalkeepers being a, a safe pair of hands, or uh, maybe for you guys, it's a hockey goalie or a wide receiver. Um, or we think of politicians or business people being safe pairs of hands in a season of transition. Or maybe you think about a surgeon as you go under the surgeon's knife. You want the confidence of knowing that you're going under the, the knife of a, of a safe pair of hands. But the reality is that those hands are only human hands. They make mistakes. 
They can't offer us the kind of security, certainty that our hearts long for and need in this life, especially when things get hard. Well, in Psalm 31 this morning, as we come before God's Word together, we see King David is in deeply difficult circumstances. He finds himself in deep distress, and he doesn't just need safe hands. He needs saving hands. He doesn't just need good hands. He ultimately needs God's hands. And the question for you and me this morning as we come before his word is this, are we entrusting our lives into his safe, into his saving hands? Are we entrusting our own lives? Are we entrusting our kids' lives, our families' lives, our church's lives, ultimately into his hands? This morning we'll see that we're being invited based on the real life testimony of David and ultimately on the historical finished work of Jesus, we're being invited to entrust our lives into God's hands, even in our deepest of distresses, so that our hearts can take courage this morning. That's what my prayer is for us, that as we leave here this morning, your heart would take courage in the Lord. So I'm just going to read this psalm for us in its entirety. And just as I come before this psalm, um, in many ways it's apt um, some of the guys were asking me yesterday what some of the big things we've been learning as we've been planting. And we often think about church planting as this kind of pioneering, vision casting, strategic, practical thing. And it is that. But from day one, we have majorly um, experienced the fact that planting is pastoring from day one, shepherding souls. And I've been reminded of that this morning um, as you've installed new elders. And really that's something we're all called to, the leaders, uh, the elders lead in that, but we're all called to care for one another's souls. And often the Psalms are such a helpful place to go, aren't they? So uh, if you have Psalm 31 in front of you, uh, I'm going to read it and then pray for us. Hear the voice of the Lord. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden from me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I am in distress, my, my eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength feels because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak instantly against the righteous in pride and contempt. 
Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men and you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let me just pray for us. Father, we come before your word now together. We pray that you would humble our hearts. We pray that you would, by your spirit, cause us to hear your word, to respond to it in repentance and in faith. Father, would you by your spirit melt and convict and encourage and upbuild our faith this morning. And may you give us the grace that we so desperately need to live these things out in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the the first thing then we see here together in these verses is this, I can entrust my life into God's hands. King David finds himself in a situation where he needs a place of safety and of strength. He needs God. He recognizes that in, in those early verses, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. And a refuge really speaks to a safe place. He needs safety and he also needs strength. Fortress speaks to a strong place. He needs a, a refuge and a fortress. He finds himself in the midst of a prolonged and difficult storm camping in a tent just isn't going to cut it. He needs the the safety and the strength of castle walls. He's under attack from an enemy. Crouching under a table won't cut it. He needs to hide in a concrete bunker. And verse 4 reveals to us the particular reason why David is seeking this kind of safety in God. And we'll see him refer to it in more detail in just a moment. Verse 4 tells us that people are after him. They're speaking lies about and to him. And ultimately, in verse 13, they're trying to kill him. So he, he cries to God for help in verses 1 to 2, based on the character of God in verses 3 to 4. And now in verse 5, he commits his spirit into God's hand. And the word spirit there communicates to us the deepest part of us. All of us, body and soul, every fiber of our being, committed into the hands of God. And in doing that, David compares himself to those who would trust in worthless idols. That's what verse six talks about. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. He contrasts the the futility of entrusting our things, our lives into things around us compared to the fortress that is God. And what the word worthless communicates to you and me this morning is that God is not just another option on a long list of good options. He's the only option. Everything else is worthless. When we lean on and trust in things around us to save and deliver us from distress, we have no certainty. There are no eternal guarantees. No matter how good your goalie is or your goalkeeper is, your team can still lose. No matter how competent a politician or a business person is, Ultimately, a country and a company's future is never 100% certain. No matter how skilled a surgeon is, there's still risks involved. No matter how secure your pension fund is, 
Global markets can turn them on their head in a matter of hours, in a matter of days. Jonah 2 verse 8 says this, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What that communicates to you and me is that when we put our ultimate and final trust in things other than God, it not only robs God of his worship, but we rob our own hearts of the hope of steadfast love. We rob ourselves along with God and his worship. We rob our hearts from a a courage and a certainty and a confidence that only he can give us. That's why David uses such strong language as hate in verse 6. It's not that he detests people. It's that he hates the fact that God's robbed of his worship and he hates the devastation it causes in people's lives. But what happens when we do entrust our hearts and our lives into God's hands? Well, we can with King David in verse 78. If you look down, we can confidently anticipate future deliverance. Do you have that confidence in your life right now? We can confidently anticipate future deliverance. We can with assurance anticipate rejoicing and and gladness grounded in God's steadfast love and deliverance. That's what verses 78 show us. Verse 8 at the end there paints a picture of not only being saved and finding safety, but finding space. Do you ever feel like that in your life? The, The pressures and the difficulties of life press in on you, feel like they're crushing you. You feel like there's no way out, no room to breathe. You feel, I just need space right now. I need relief from what I'm going through. Uh, last year, um, there was a story of a, a teenager on a, on a beach in England, um, and he dug a huge hole in the beach, and then he climbed into that hole, and then the sand collapsed in on top of him, and it reminded me growing up of how we used to go to the beach, and we used to go to the sand dunes, the big hills of sand, and dig huge tunnels down into the sand dunes and crawl all the way down in them, and I now realize how foolish that was. The Lord was kind in in keeping us, but they managed to get an airway to him, but it took over an hour to dig him out. Can you imagine an hour under the weight and the heat of that sand? Felt like it was crushing your chest, Felt like there was no way out. Can you imagine the the relief of finally getting out of that? In life, there will be times, maybe you're in that time right now, where it feels like you're trapped. There's no room to breathe. There's no one to cry out to. No one can hear you. Maybe it's a prolonged or or terminal illness. Maybe it's a long-term relational conflict or relational brokenness. Maybe you're experiencing sustained pressure for your faith. Maybe at the workplace or from family even or friends at school or college. Loved ones, the reality for you and me this morning is that we can entrust our lives, others' lives too, into God's hand. And no deliverance may not come in our timing. Verse 24 at the end of the psalm talks about waiting. No deliverance may not come in our timing or in our way. For those who trust in God, distress will eventually turn to deliverance. Distress will eventually turn to deliverance, either in some measure in this life, maybe even by God's grace in significant measure in this life, but certainly in the life to come. Distress will eventually turn to deliverance. God is a safe refuge for those who are in danger. God is a strong fortress for those who feel weak. God provides a spacious place for those who feel trapped. 
And you may be reading this psalm and you're, you're hearing the call to trust this morning. You see David's confidence. You hear the call to trust. And deep down we feel, I, I, can't, I can't live up to that. How, how is David so confident? How, how do I get there? And, and if we're really honest about our hearts, we realize that we're more like those in verse six who trust in worthless idols. We're so easily tempted to entrust our lives into the things around us, even though we know as Christians they can't ultimately deliver us. And the idolatry that verse six talks about is sinful and it's deserving of God's punishment. It's a sinfulness in verse 10 that David recognizes of, of himself as well. He's honest. And it's also true of you and me. So on what basis, what right, what confidence do you and I have to come before God and ask him to take our lives into his hand? What confidence did David have? What confidence do you and I have? What right, verse one, in your righteousness? Verse three, for your name's sake. Verse five, for you have redeemed me. Verse seven, your steadfast love. Loved ones, our basis is the righteousness, the reputation, the covenant love, and the redemption of God. That's how you and I can come with confidence before God and entrust our lives into his hands. That's how distressed people, that's how distressed sinful people can entrust their lives into the hands of God. David's assurance, his confidence came from the covenant promises and steadfast love of God to him then. The covenant promises and love promised to him by God then. Our assurance comes from the one who fulfills those covenant promises, who embodies the steadfast love of God. King David's greater son, King Jesus, it's in his name that you and I can join in and sing this psalm and make it our own. David sang it, but we need it in our sin for Jesus to sing it for us first. And he did that so that you and I can join in through faith and sing it with him. It's because Jesus, the sinless one, who was surrounded by people who tried to take his life, who spoke lies about him, who nailed him to the cross, where his body and soul were wasted from grief, where he was spent with sorrow, where his strength failed, who in the darkest moments of his distress, in his very death, entrusted his life into the hands of God. And he did that for you and for me, so that through repentance and faith, we might reap the benefits of his sinless perfection, that we might by faith know the assurance and safety of being in the hands of God. Luke 23, 46. This is the fulfillment really of this psalm. Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So loved ones, if your faith is already in Jesus this morning. You don't need to get yourself into God's hands. You already are. And when your faith and your trust wavers and sometimes feels weak because of Jesus, God will never let you go, even in your deepest of distresses. The message of Psalm 31 this morning is not firstly to trust harder. It is a call to trust. So often we can read the Psalms like that, don't we? Uh, you, you read Psalm 31, you go into your Monday morning, okay, I've, I've got to trust God harder. I've got, I've got to, you know, grip my teeth, trust harder. It's not firstly to do what David did. The good news of Psalm 31 is what Jesus has already done for you. 
And it's when we look to him in faith, that's how our trust will strengthen and increase. Our trust strengthens not by trying to muster up inside of ourselves, but looking outside of ourselves to the one who perfectly entrusted his life into God's hand for us. And as we joyfully meditate on who we now are in him, that is how our trust strengthens and increases. And by God's grace, the spirit of Christ, the spirit that perfectly entrusted its life into God's hand, that spirit now resides within you if you're a Christian. It's at work in your life to subdue and enable and strengthen your will to do what this psalm calls us to do. Isn't that good news? You don't do this alone. You have the spirit of Christ in you. That's the call of verses one to eight, to entrust our lives into God's hands. Now David goes a bit deeper into the distress that he's experiencing, a distress which really takes him to a place of dependence. I can entrust my life into God's hands. And secondly, I can do that even in my deepest distress. David now circles back to what he's already alluded to in verses four to seven to really reveal the depths of distress that he finds himself in. Verse nine, if you look down, his distress isn't just spiritual, it's physical. His body and bones are wasting away. He's failing, he feels weak. Verse 10, it's prolonged. My life is spent with sorrow. My years with sighing. Verse 11, he feels isolated and hated by those who are supposed to be closest to him, his neighbors and his acquaintances. Did you notice that? It's not strangers that are, who are hating him. It's those who are supposed to be his friends, those closest to him. Verse 12, he feels forgotten. He feels like he, he might as well not be alive. No one even recognizes him. He's dead. He feels broken. He describes his life as a broken vessel, shattered. He feels like he's beyond the point of repair. And then he feels in danger, verse 13. He's under attack. He describes himself there as if he's the, the victim of a terror attack. Maybe that resonates with your situation this morning. The deep distress that you're going through, or maybe those around you, has not only left your heart feeling heavy and weak, but your body also. What you're going through is prolonged. The groaning just doesn't seem to be going away. You feel isolated and hated maybe even by those who are closest to you, those who are supposed to be the ones that protect you and befriend you and love you and care for you. Lies and accusations are maybe being spoken against you. You feel forgotten, broken. Maybe you feel this morning like your life is beyond repair. Maybe you have in the past or even now in the present, you've experienced evil at the hands of someone close to you someone who has pushed you to the point of distress that David articulates here in these verses. The hope of Psalm 31 is that God sees your affliction. He knows your distress. He can eternally deliver you. Your distress does not have to define you forever. Jesus came to earth and experienced the evil of human sin, my sin, your sin, if you think no one around you can help you or you feel like no one can resonate with you, he can. He knows what you're going through. He can help you. He found shelter and safety and deliverance when he entrusted himself into God's hand and so can you. 
David lived it. Jesus fulfilled it. You can experience it. And maybe if we look at the other side of this psalm, maybe you were the person, you were this schemer, that you were the, the liar. You, maybe you are that to someone right now. You are the plotter, the terrorizer. Hear this this morning. Jesus died for you too. Forgiveness is available for you too when you turn from your sinful way of life and turn in faith to Jesus. In Jesus, you too can know the loving embrace of God's hands. And sometimes when we, uh, when we read the Psalms, um, particularly maybe the more lamenting Psalms, or we read the depths of despair in the Psalms, we maybe can sometimes find it slightly hard to, to relate, at least maybe in the present. Maybe we have gone through that in the past. You, you, set your, you didn't have to set your alarm this morning. You, you had a, a nice long lie, as we call it in Scotland, or you slept in. You're going home to a nice dinner in a warm house. Maybe you're going to watch some sports this morning, spend some time with, with family and friends. You kind of think, I, yeah, I kind of don't really fully relate to this right now. But David's distress foreshadows Jesus' distress. That's what we saw in Luke 23. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then the distress he went through was for you in love. So it does apply to you. It should move you, move you and me. It should create humility and thankfulness within our hearts. And we know as his followers that we are called to share in his sufferings. And we do that not alone, but as part of the church. If you needed reminding this morning, the Psalms are not solos. Okay, we often talk about the Psalms. We talk about our favorite Psalm. My favorite Psalm is this. And what's your favorite Psalm? It's good to have a favorite Psalm. It's right, but they're not our, my Psalms. They're our Psalms. We sing them together. They're corporate. If you see that at the heading at the top of uh, Psalm 31, to the choir master, you sing as part of a choir. You sing as part of the church. So just because you might not personally resonate with the distress right now. You may in the future, you maybe have in the past, but just because you don't resonate with it right now doesn't mean that those around you don't. And maybe not locally, but if we think globally, which you've been doing over these like, last week, this week, and next week, we're part of a global church. And there are brothers and sisters around the world who are literally being terrorized and attacked for their faith. You sing this psalm with them, for them. So if it's not part of your own personal testimony right now, it is part of this church's testimony. And the good news is that it's a testimony that doesn't end with everyone's against me. It's a testimony that moves to a place of God has got me. If you look down at verses 14 to 16, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. When you and I are in a place of deep distress, with confidence and assurance, we can trust the Lord. We can say, my times are in your hand. Every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, every decade, all of it, your eternity, every second is in the sovereign hand of our loving God. Isn't that comforting? In Christ, we are in his hand, Nothing that happens to us can ever overcome or eternally harm us. When we're united to Jesus by faith, that verse, my times are in your hand, it's firstly an expression of truth in many ways. 
God is our creator. We live in his world. Every human being, whether they choose to recognize it or not, come under the, the providential sovereign hand of God. But for those whose faith is in Jesus, it's not just an expression of raw truth. It gets to be an expression of eternal trust. My times are in your covenant-keeping, promise-fulfilling, loving hands. Nothing can ever overcome or harm me. And his hands are also just hands. In Jesus, God has forgiven the evil within us, but God does not turn a blind eye to the evil around us. David goes to God in verses 17 to 18, if you look down. He goes to God and therefore invites us in a similar way to go to God to deal with the injustice and evil that is present in his life and in our lives. A desire to see the lies and the evil and the injustice around us is not dealt with justly by God, is not at odds with loving our enemies. So we can go to God with humility and honesty, yes. A humility and honesty about the, the sin that still lingers in our own hearts, the evil that still lingers in our own desires. We can go to God with that humility and honesty and entrust God to deal with that evil and injustice around us and toward us. Just like Jesus did. 1 Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So we can entrust our lives into God's hands, even in our deepest distress. And thirdly, so that our hearts can take courage. I can entrust my life into God's hand, even in my deepest distress, and let my heart take courage. If you look down at verse 24, this is where we can get to. This is where we can get to this morning. You don't need to leave here if you're in Christ with a discouraged heart. By God's grace, you can leave here this morning with a heart that takes courage. This is where we can get to when we entrust our lives into God's hands. We can go from a heart that is heavy, even in deep distress, to a heart that takes courage. And in fact, David is so certain and confident that he speaks in these verses, as he has spoken already at the beginning of the psalm, he speaks with such confidence that it's as if God has already delivered him. That's how much confidence he has. That can be ours and is ours if we're in Jesus. And there's a bunch of truths here in these final verses that help our hearts here in this moment to take courage. So we're just gonna spend these final moments looking at these truths um, about God that in, will enable our, our hearts to take courage. Firstly, God is good to me. Verse 19, oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. God has an abundance of goodness. And amongst the evil and, and the lies and the distress of this world, he has goodness stored up. Goodness stored up for us when we fear him. And really fear and trust uh, go together. Uh, a right fear of God orders our hearts correctly, enabling us to trust him. And there's no shortage of this goodness. 
um, in the UK at the moment, uh, and you guys are, are kind of similarly experiencing it, but uh, there's the cost of living kind of increasing, inflation, and, and also the government has warned us of potential blackouts in, in the winter due to the shortage of gas supply with all that's going on in Europe, and, and the uh, that's really compounded the last number of years. So people are, there's a genuine fearfulness and, and an anxiety about the fact that these things are going to run out. But as Christians, we know there is something that will never run out. This verse tells us that there is something that will never run out, God's goodness. He's already proven that to us in Jesus. His goodness is stored up. It is available. It will never run out. Nothing can stop its supply. God is good to me. God covers me, verse 20. He covers us with his personal presence. He will protect us. The plans and plots of evil can, cannot eternally overwhelm us. No matter how much lies is spoken to us or against us, it cannot threaten our safety or our status. Jesus told us that. Take heart. The world cannot overcome you. God is good to me. God covers me. God loves me. Verse 21. One of the things I love about being part of our family of churches is how we often end or end our services. You are loved. Um, as we were in uh, Brian and Grace McGrath's house, um, uh, who have hosted us so, uh, so hospitably, so wonderfully, uh, they have a little uh, thing of soap in their bathroom that says, you are loved on the soap. And, and as I've gone around various people in our GCC network, um, that, that I see that all the time in, in people's houses. Um, in people's homes, in people's churches. And it's so apt that we continue to remind ourselves of that, particularly in the deepest of distresses. Verse 21, blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Even when life feels like it's locking us up, that we're being attacked, that we're under threat, that's what a besieged city is speaking to. Even then, we still know God's love you are still loved even then. God is good to me. God covers me. God loves me. Verse 22, God hears me. Even when we feel like God has cut us off. God, you, you're not listening to me. I, I'm asking you to, to do something here. I'm asking you to change this distressing circumstance in my life, but it, it doesn't seem to be changing. Why aren't you listening to me? He is listening to you. He does hear you. God always hears the cries of his children. We can be sure of that because of Jesus. He heard his cries. He delivered him. And in Christ, we will be eternally delivered. God loves me. God hears me. God keeps me, verses 23 to 24. If you look down, these verses really are now the, the response that we're being called to as his church. Love the Lord, all you his saints. That's you and me there. That's where you are in the psalm. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Our hope and assurance as we wait for deliverance from the distresses of this life, whether that happens now or in eternity, our hope and assurance is this, verse 23, he will keep you. He will preserve you. He will not let you go. He will not let anything overcome you eternally. 
You are in his safe, sovereign, covenant-keeping, promise-fulfilling hands. Therefore, we can entrust our lives into his hands, even in our deepest of distresses, and let our hearts take courage. Let me encourage you and invite you to, to meditate on these things, personally to memorize them and embed them in your heart by the Spirit, to, to pray these things into your present circumstances. If you don't know how to pray or you don't even know what to say, then use this psalm. Know the Spirit is groaning with you and you don't have to do it alone. Verse 24 is addressed to the saints, to all of us. Get people to draw alongside you. Move towards someone and draw near to them. Pray about these things together. Speak them into the lives of those in your church family. And declare these life-giving truths to those who don't know Jesus. We often assume, don't we, in our current culture, I don't know what, I'm sure it's similar to you guys here, we, we often assume uh, people who don't know Jesus, they, they won't want to hear that. They'll just turn their, the roller, they'll roll their eyes at me. Um, we oft, so often kind of lack a, a confidence in the fact that people long for these kind of truths. People long for these to, to cling to that, these kind of truths and, and realities. So entrust the, that to the Lord. Go and declare these things. Share these things. Talk about your story of how the Lord has worked in your life. Share the story of Jesus, how the Lord has delivered him and see the Spirit work to open blind eyes and soften hard hearts and see people turn to Jesus. These are truths to cling on to. These are truths for your heart to take courage in this morning, loved ones. Because if you are in Jesus, they are already true of you. Because of Jesus, we can sing and pray and say this psalm with Jesus. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. I trust in you, O Lord. My times are in your hand. Let me pray for us.